Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. If you were with us previously on the last episode of Painting Corners, I just wanted to apologize. <laughs> Because we couldn't have been more wrong on our gambling show with Colton St. Vincent. The Washington Nationals are World Series champions. Guys, how are we feeling about the previous episode and this, just this this Nationals run in general? I feel great. I'm very happy the Nationals won. I didn't have a dog in the fight. I'm ecstatic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know you're ecstatic. You don't like Houston. But I like Houston. I like the Astros. I like a lot of their players. Not all of them. I don't like their front office anymore either. But... The Nationals had their number in Houston, which is incredible. That whole series was wild. It was one of the one of the better World Series you'll see, and it was probably one of the least watched World Series as well, just because of the teams in it. But I mean, I feel pretty good. Strasburg MVP, Houston lost, but you know, Verlander still can't figure it out. It was a lot to take in with this World Series. Yeah, I, I, I gotta I gotta agree with you. It was it was a decent series for the most part, but Game Seven was just on a whole nother level. I think if you look at the TV TV ratings, Game Seven was probably one of the um, like most streamed. Uh, it wound up being games. one of the least watched games in the beginning in World Series history, which is the wildest thing I've ever heard. But it increased really? so many ratings at the end. Yeah, I think everyone just kind of got in line there, just like this is gonna be a really good game because it's winner take all. And honestly, it was the best game of the series, not even because it was Game Seven. If that happened in Game One, I would be like, "Oh, that was the best game," but that was definitely the best game. Yeah, and I'm glad that we got to see Juan Soto ball out on that level and show everybody why he's so good. And I'm so glad we get to watch him for the next however many years. Legendary. Oh, hopefully ten. Yeah. His his first his first alcoholic drink was from the World Series. His trophy. first quote in quotes alcoholic drink. First legal drink. First legal go. drink. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's still legendary though. Yeah, it really it, is. it really is. Can you imagine telling your grandkids that? Or even your kids or like just a friend? You know, I mean this guy is younger than every single one of the rookie of the year prospects that we're gonna get to later. But uh David and I had a chance to sit down with the Washington Post's own Jesse Doherty to discuss this improbable word, the World Series run. I think the word that I used was actually impeccable. So you're going to hear that for the next couple minutes. And uh, from that, we'll keep going. Have you ever been a part of something in sports, you know, that was kind of out of the nowhere like this? No, absolutely not. I, mean, I think impeccable is a good word. I think improbable maybe is the, uh, is the best one for it. Uh, if you look at their season, all the different points where the – but the probability of them winning had dropped below 5%, even dropped below 1% <laughs> at certain points. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy that this team, you know, went all the way and ended up winning a title. So, impeccable, impeccable, whatever words you want to throw out there, they, they all fit. I mean, what what is the biggest component of this run? You know, you have guys like Steven Strasburg fulfilling his full potential for basically the year, you know, and finally getting to shine. Is he yeah. the most important part to this run, or was it a guy like Howie Kendrick? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it's interesting to, to think about that because Strasburg was obviously so incredible, and he went five to zero in the postseason. First pitcher ever to do that. Um, it seemed like every time they needed somebody to shove in a big game, he, he, he did it. Uh, but but the reason why I would maybe err on the side of it being more of a guy like Howie or um, you know even even you know he, he was up and down, but Patrick Corbin, you know, in throwing three scoreless things of relief in Game Seven. If you think about getting all the way to the finish line, 
it's because those contributions were a little less expected. Like, you kind of figure that Steven's going to be a major part of any success. You don't think Howie Kendrick's going to hit a grand slam in Game 5 of the NLDS and then hit the go-ahead home run Game 7 of the World Series at 36 years old. Those are things you just can't really account for. So, um, I think marginal contributions from sort of the, the fringes of the roster are always going to be more valuable than the big guys that you sort of expect to get certain contributions from. But, I mean, at the same time, you need it. So, it's hard to sort of put your finger on one. One guy that you definitely got a contribution from all year long, maybe the most underrated third baseman in the entire MLB, Anthony Rendon. How big was he? And finally, it must have been good to be on a national stage finally for you guys as fans and, and you know, when you cover the team because he deserves so much more respect. How big of a role did he play, not only in, you know, you know, on the field and in the batter's box, but every time you looked at him in, in the dugout, he was always cool, calm, collective, never too high, never too low, and almost felt like he just kind of kept a nice calming factor over the team there. Yeah, I mean, he was instrumental. It's, you can't recount this run or discuss it without talking about him. And, and, and the biggest thing for me is the, the biggest component team-wide for, this, for the Nationals is that they didn't, and there's so many cliche ways to say this, but they, they didn't wilt when they were down. They, they came back, and they went 5-0 in the elimination games. He came back from behind in every single one. And until his final at-bat in Game 7, Anthony Radone was, seven, I think it was 6-for-6 six six in, in elimination games in the seventh inning or later, and he was three homers, or three homers and three doubles. Yeah, he was unbelievable. He And then, of course, as soon as they put that stat up, he like grounded out the first base, of just, of course, how it goes. Um, it was, yeah, no, that was the post. And uh, a little disappointed to not see TV credit correctly, but, hey, I guess the stats are available to everyone. Uh, yep, that's, 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 that's my side. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, just – so if you think about that, like if you think the key component of the team is their ability to score late runs and tack on late runs, and he was the key component of that. Uh, it's just it's, you couldn't overstate his value for what the Nationals did in October. No, you couldn't, and it was so big. Another guy that has kind of been the heart and soul of this team since he signed the big free agent contract a few years ago now. When Max Serger first signed that contract, a lot of people were scratching their heads. A, he was saying, why leave Detroit with all these great pitchers and go to Washington? B, why would Washington pay a guy that's going to be 37 when that contract's over? that much money and all of the deferred money, which the Nationals love deferred money contracts. And as a, if I was a player, I would love those contracts either. I don't need 300 million when I'm 30. I could use 100 million over 30 years. But how big of it, almost like monkey off your back type deal with, okay, we signed this big contract. He was our horse. He's been up, he's been hurt a little bit this year, but you finally won with Max Scherzer. The contract is worth it now, right? Yeah, and definitely. And I, I think it will be worth it anyway. I mean, I think you get two side off. You know, the, all the great things he's to them and just you get a bonus by dates for six, seven seasons, and that's that's worth it in itself. But it's obviously a results-based outlook no matter what. So you don't spend $30 million a year over seven seasons for, um, you know, wins in July. You spend it so the guy who couldn't even move his arm on Sunday pitches in game seven on Wednesday and gives you five gusty innings and sets you up to win the World Series. Like, that's why you spend the money. And, yep. yep. Not everyone gets to sort of hit that, and, and it's, that's not always on the player necessarily, because if the team ever got there, it wasn't going to be Max Scherzer's fault. It was going to be front office not getting in there, or other players maybe not clicking, or injuries, or whatever it may be. But, in a vacuum, when it comes down to it, what you pay for, and I feel the same way about Patrick Corbin, you don't pay for 
you know, going five and zero or five and one between July and August, with Patrick Corbin, you pay for three innings out of the bullpen on three days rest against the Astros in the World Series. That's when one hundred forty million dollars looks worth it because you won the World Series. So I think there is a lot of cost benefit analysis for contracts, for trades, for a lot of different things. And when you win, it all it, it, that's when it all comes together. That, that, that's when it's supremely worth it. <laughs> and then we can sort of you know cut, you know cut it one way or another during the season or otherwise and say is it worth it. without a championship but once you get that title it all all seems to really work out so a guy that if you weren't familiar with before the run and if you're a casual baseball fan i don't really get why you weren't but if you know the game like you've known about juan soto for a while how i mean this just feels like a guy that we're just scratching the surface of you know can you kind of what explain what it's like to cover a guy so young yet so talented Yeah, Daniel Hudson, hey, he killed it in Toronto as backing up Ken Giles that eighth inning slot. And one of the biggest one of the biggest problems going into the playoffs for you guys was your bullpen. But David Martinez outmanaged everybody by getting the addition of Hudson, using him correctly, and saying, Hey, you know what? We saw Nathan Evaldi and Rick Porcello last year. How about we try Patrick Corbin in the bullpen a lot? And then we'll put Annabelle Sanchez in as that as that third starter. And man, did it pay off. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, Juan Soto, um, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, you talk about for a guy like Anthony, uh, when you get to the World Series stage, when you get to the next level, you, everyone starts to see how great they are. I thought the same about Soto because in Washington, we've known since he came up that he's been a superlative talent. I mean, he's you know, broke every record at 19, broke every record at 20. He's in the same conversation as Mickey Mantle, Nolan, uh, Tony Consigliere, you know, a bunch of, you know, Griffey Jr. I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on of the company that he's keeping at his age. So, um, I mean, and, and then when you get to the World Series stage, you start to see everyone kind of starts to see that. And I think it's easy to sort of pigeonhole players by their quote unquote antics. You know, you see him do the the crotch grab or the shoto shuffle or the kick in the dirt or the smiling at Josh Hader. But like at the core, Juan Soto is an incredible baseball player. That's what he is, and it's not that he shouldn't be defined by the fun stuff he does. He's fun because of that stuff, and it's great that he's fun. But what he should get the most credit for, first and foremost, is that he is an excellent baseball player who, on the biggest stage imaginable, at the age of 20 and then 21 years old, absolutely crushed it. Yeah. So one last question. Thanks for coming on again. Really appreciate it. What does this mean to the city of Washington, D.C., the team, the front office, the writers? What does it kind of mean? Is this something that it's like, okay, we got one, we're here, we're content? Is it one of those things like, you know what, everything from here on is gravy, we want it, you know, guys may leave, guys may come back, let's just enjoy it. How does, much does this mean to the city, and how much does it mean to the guys in that room? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, there is a really, there's a high-level validation that comes with it, and I don't necessarily think it creates complacency, but I think it, it does make you feel like, you, you want you know how to do it, you know, you know what it looks like, how to get there. Um, it's a crazy blueprint. There's no way to duplicate a season this season. The Red Sox obviously showed that. It's really hard to do, but um, I don't think it's going to make anyone sort of not be just hungry to do it again. I think, if, if anything, it makes my base of those guys as hungry as anything because, you know, anything short of that will not be worth it now because you felt that it was like to get to the mountaintop. But from a legacy standpoint, that, these, that 25, 35 guys that count the Dom rosters will, um, will ever be the guys that brought the title here. Um, it's kind of cool that... No one will ever take that away from them. The city will always remember. You know, you still think about the 018 that you know that I grew up with, and 
you know, the, you could just sit around with your buddies and just list off all the names and all the little moments that happened along the way. And it's not just the big home runs, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the dribbler down the middle or the infield hit or the, the, you know, the great play in center or whatever. I mean, it's like, it's these, they, 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 they bring the other generations in the city and the fan base, and I think it will never not be important. Um, uh, obviously, like next season notwithstanding, it'd be great if they, you know, for the Nationals, if they could, you know, make another run and make it exciting again. But no matter what, this doesn't go away. Thank you again to Jesse Doherty from the Washington Post for joining us and talking about his World Series run with the team. You know, Dave, what was your favorite takeaway from that exchange with Jesse? You know, I'd probably say it was maybe even something he said off air, which is just like how great it was to cover some of those guys. And I think it really shows how close that locker room was. And the guys around them, they really kind of welcomed them in. So I just think the team camaraderie was awesome. And I think like the locker room was really great. And, you know, I, I talked about Rendon kind of like being cool, calm, collective all the time. You got Soto doing all the, the crazy antics. But just the team itself was so like tight knit and they kept picking each other up. I mean, when you're down that many times and backs against the wall, they just kept going. And I feel like that stuck out most to me. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty good exchange. You know, I was really he was really excited to talk about Daniel Hudson. Like, he thought we were going to mention him every five seconds, but we never yeah. wound up doing it. He had to do it himself. But, you know, that was pretty cool, uh, asking him about just what it's like covering a team like that, you know, a team that's always down and but never out of it was, was a really awesome exchange for me. But uh, from one exchange to the other, the Boston Red Sox, the 2018 World Series champions before the Nationals, hired a new president of operations, and that is Chaim Bloom. Gabe, what do we feel about this this deal as a whole so far? I'm really into it. Yeah, I'm too. I am too. I think whenever you get a chance to bring somebody in that from is Tampa. different than yeah, and and especially from Tampa and especially different from the past GM, uh, I think Dombrowski was kind of like I I don't know every I don't know a whole lot on Dombrowski's background, but I feel like he wouldn't be that heavy into analytics as much as Bloom is, and uh, I think Bloom is a you know everyone works as a collective whole, and Dombrowski was kind of like I'm the I'm the sheriff, and I'm no one else is going to help me, and I I really think this is going to help the Red Sox, and I think uh, within the next few weeks we're going to see some blue magic and. Hopefully, it'll uh, lead to a successful 2020 season for the Red Sox. Dave, how are you feeling about the hiring? I mean, I love it. Uh, kind of similar to what Gabe just said. I mean, he's coming from Tampa, and when you get small market guys like that, that can work magic like you saw in Houston at the beginning, Tampa Bay, and some of these small market teams. You're like, man, I wish I'd get my hands on one of those guys. Imagine if we had him some payroll and gave him a little leeway, and that's exactly what the Red Sox can do. And it, analytically, I think he's going to be great. But I think what he's going to be able to do now is get some of those guys that he knows are really good, but just out of his price range in Tampa. And that's not to say that they're going to be super free agents like David Price. It's the Mitch Morelands, it's the Steve Pierce's, the Brock Holtz, those type of caliber of players that he's going to be able to get and say, if you use him in these situations, it's, you're going to be really successful with him versus if you play him all the time versus if we don't have them. I'm very happy that he's a younger guy, a little bit refreshed in the analytics and also the eye test because it kind of plays in both. And I think they're looking for Theo 2.0, which is never a bad thing. And I think you are going to see some magic, like you're saying, Austin. I think that you're going to see – you're going to get J.D. Martinez to stay, and I'm sure that contract's going to get reworked. And I think that 
when it comes to Mookie Betts and if we're going to trade him, if you're not going to trade him, I think he's going to get you the most value over than Dombrowski, who I don't think would squeeze out every last little bit from it. Yeah, you know, if you have Exactly. I'll... No, go ahead again. I was going to say that I was going to mention the same thing Dave just said. I think that Bloom is going to if, – if indeed Mookie Betts does get traded, I think he will get the most value back. Uh, and I, I wouldn't I, – he's the guy that I want in there. If Mookie's going to get traded and we're going to have to look for a return, I trust Bloom, and I think he's going to do a good job with that. The only, the only weird thing about this is his one of his first moves of his entire like GM career is probably going to be trading Mookie Betts. And with the Boston media the way it is, I'm interested to see how they take that and see how they react to that. But going back to Dombrowski, I mean, this is a guy that's always done better with a team, you know, building a, building a contender instead of building a farm because he has had no regard for any farms at pretty much any point since I think his Marlins days, uh, if we want to go all the way back. But, you know, he destroyed the Tigers farm. He destroyed the, the Ben Charrington-built Sox farm. As much as people hated Charrington, Charrington put together a very, very good farm system that we're reaping the benefits of even to this day. And Dombrowski wasn't a guy that was going to sit around and, you know, wait for a team to, to build this farm. And when you have a farm as dry as we do in Boston... Uh, you're not going to be successful for very long, and you're going to wind up possibly being a one-hit wonder like they were last year. They're definitely in probably danger of doing that, right? Because now we're to the point now to where we have to get rid of some of these guys. You know, you there is no question. You have to get rid of somebody. That's not even a question at this point. That's not even, like, a decision that might get made. You have to shed payroll, and I don't think that there's anybody better to do it at this point than High and Blue. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's going to reset it well. And like you said, they got to trade somebody or they're going to trade multiples of people, which then you get into a situation of, you know, who's going to replace that. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I think he's definitely the right guy for the job. And I think that he will make the right decisions that are tough because he doesn't have a heart attached to it. He does not care about Mookie Betts or JBJ exactly. or Benintendi. He doesn't care that Benintendi had a great catch. He doesn't care that JBJ was the ALCS MVP. He doesn't care that Erod took a step up. If he can get value and he can replace you, he will. Gabe, you had a chance to talk to Scott Green of Prospects 1500. You know, can you kind of introduce him and you know, kind of give us a brief overview of what you you guys talked about in the upcoming interview? Yeah, so Scott works at uh, Prospects 1500. He has a side. I don't know when he started it, but uh, he's been really successful with it. I know all three of us are big fans of what he does. Just in the interview, we talked on the Bloom hire. We talked about J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts, and then some prospects to watch for. So starting off, let's both try to tackle this uh, high and Bloom hire. Um, I don't know about you, but I was a pretty big fan of the hire. Uh, I've read nothing but good reviews about him. I've read from you know uh, prospect uh, guys that write that they love that they love Bloom and he comes from a very heavy analytical background. Uh, was with the Rays and you know the, with the Rays' success, I, I'm I'm happy to poach someone away from the Rays organization to come over for us. But give your thoughts on the on the hire as a whole. Yeah, well, I'm going into this as you know myself, not knowing a lot about Bloom. I'm not a Rays fan. I haven't followed the Rays organization in depth other than knowing a lot of their top prospects for our website and what we do on social media. 
but uh, in just doing some reading and and following along with the press conferences and 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 listening to what some others in the industry are saying about Bloom, you know, I, I'm becoming a fan. I, I'm excited about the hire. Uh, some work that he's done over the last several years in Tampa has been very good, and they've built up a really good um, major and minor league uh, system. And uh, I think that he's going to bring all of that, you know, to Boston and, and continue the growth. Uh, I, I'm excited for it. And uh, I'm looking forward to even finding out more about him. I mean, knowing that I think he's a Yale grad and that he worked at Baseball Prospectus, that only helps him in my eyes. Yeah, me too. And, uh, yeah, I was I was pretty interested when I heard that he did write for um, BP when he was younger. And the the weird thing about him was – when he was at Yale, he like majored in like Latin studies or something like that, which like, oh, that's great, which has no correlation to his <laughs> job now, which is kind of weird. But I mean, he, I think he's a really smart guy. And I think, uh, with the goal or the, you know, goals that the ownership have for the Red Sox, I think he's the guy to tackle, uh, you know, the situations and these situations. And, you know, I, I obviously don't know that much about him, just like you said, but, uh, f- right now I, I, I really like him. So, uh, jumping into the next topic, every, I'm, I checked my Twitter today and I'm seeing nothing but JD Martinez news and their thoughts yesterday. JD Martinez opted into his contract. Many speculated that he was going to opt out and try to get more money with his agent being Scott Boris. Uh, what were your, th- you know, what's your thoughts on this, these, this news and was it good for the Red Sox? Well, I think uh, if we could just take a step back for a minute, I, I think that the the Bloom and the Mookie and the JD are kind of all going to be a little bit related here. Um, one of the only interviews I've watched recently was, well, not really an interview. Uh, Bloom was was um, on a call with um, Sam Kennedy and a couple others, and he was asked about the Mookie Beth situation. Gave a great answer, you know, said there's so many options that we're looking at, uh, would love to have him as a Red Sox forever, uh, you know, but couldn't really go into depth about, you know, the next steps. So with J.D. basically opting in, as you said, you know, he's he's here for another three years, and I think it's about $64 million. Uh, and I'm happy that he is, you know, he he helped us win a World Series. I say us. I'm a Red Sox fan since I can remember going back to being four or five years old. So um, he helped us win a World Series and still had a very, very good 2019. And I'm glad that he is is staying with Boston. But I do think that's going to affect what they're going to be able to do with Mookie, knowing that they've also got these huge contracts with Price and Sale and Evaldi. And, you know, Mookie's going to be looking for, you know, I think 300 plus million dollars, you know, got to be over the 30 million a year, you know, average annual value. So, you know, I'm happy that JD's staying. I think that it could be the uh, writing on the wall that they're not going to be able to keep Mookie. Now, I hope that they do. I just have a feeling that he's going to probably not be with us after well after 2020 if he decides to if they don't trade him now I'm with you I think when you get to keep a an elite hitter 
in J.D. Martinez, that's always a good thing. But that does affect, I think, the Mookie situation uh, a little bit more. And I think if JD's, J.D. did opt out, I think the Red Sox would have said, you know, I'm sorry we can't, you know, there's not a future with us. Uh, we we need money for other in other positions and try to, you know, fill that D.H. role from within and uh, spend their money elsewhere. But, uh, yeah, you, t- you touched on the Mookie situation. That's going to be the hot topic this uh, whole offseason. What do you think the Red Sox should do with Mookie Betts? I think that they should sign him and raise our ticket prices even more and keep a, keep a championship team uh, intact. Um, that's what I think they should do. Um, what I have a feeling they might try to do is make a trade this offseason so they can get the most value for him and even what even if they did that I don't think that they're going to get Mookie value I don't know that you're going to get value out of what three or four you know younger players um, that's going to give you what Mookie you know has given us I mean with his unbelievable 2018 season people think he you know did he have an off year this past year in 2019 sure um year I mean, he hit he hit 295 and slugged over 520, and his OPS was 915. He he, um, you know his, his you know one big number I like to look at is this uh, weighted runs created plus 135 for that advanced stat is not a bad stat. It was just off the charts in 2018 at 185. Something that I did find really interesting is he stopped running as much. You know, he only had 16 stolen bases this past year. He had 30 the year before. So he was sitting in the leadoff spot both seasons. So that's something that's a little concerning. But Mookie is Mookie, and he's one of the best in the game. You know, any dynasty league that you might be playing in, he's going to be one of the top three or four picks, you know, in every single league. So I guess long story short, I think, think that they're going to try to sign him, but I wouldn't be surprised to, you know, have them, you know, say that they're working on trading him as well. You, you pretty much hit it for me. Uh, I, what I think they should do is offer him, you know, a deal that he shouldn't refuse. But I, I, I guess my opinion is, you know, the Red Sox have the right to want to keep and want to know if he's going to resign with the club. Um, so they don't, lose him for nothing but Mookie does have a right to you know say hey I want to go into free agency I want to see how much money I can make but Mookie's got to understand where the front office is coming from they want a commitment and I think the deals that they've uh, that have leaked and what deals they've offered him have been completely fair and I think if he uh, is wanting to stay with the Red Sox he should take that deal but I don't know what's going to happen I don't know what should happen I mean I, I I'm of the opinion that Mookie is one of the greatest players in the game right now, and he's a once-in-a-generation talent. He's a homegrown player. Uh, the Red, Red Sox have developed him, and look at where he's at now. And I'd hate to see him uh, walk away, and that that would just suck. And But you can't lose him for nothing either. So I don't know. I, I would hate to be Heim Bloom. I, I honestly I, – me and my co-hosts were talking about this yesterday. I honestly do not know why uh, Bloom even took the job with this task in front of him. Yeah, you don't want this to be his – you know, is this going to be his his uh, lasting legacy with uh, it being probably one of the first moves that he makes? Um, 
you know, whether he's, you know, signed or traded or we'll see, we'll see pretty soon, I guess. That's, that's what's exciting. I, having grown up a Sox fan and, um, you know, being in my, uh, I can actually say I'm in my middle ages now. I've seen so many Sox players that leave and they don't get anything for these players. So let's, let's uh, hope that doesn't happen here. Yeah, and you touched. We've touched on trading, uh, you know, potential players. In your opinion, what outfielder, what current outfielder, Benatendi, Bradley, Betts, which outfielder is the most likely to get traded this offseason? In your opinion, I would think Betts. I don't think that they're even considering trading Benatendi, and I don't know that JBJ has a lot of market value that would. Uh, would bring us a return that the Sox would be looking for. So to answer the question, I think Betts probably has the most chance of being traded. I may be, um, I may be a minority in saying that, but I'll stick to that for now. No, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, Jeff Passan. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, works yes. for ESPN. Uh, his latest mm-hmm. piece included a, a statement that said, if the Red Sox would want to trim payroll, uh, they could move on for, from potentially Bogarts. Do you see him being traded at all? Not after that huge extension that they just gave him. I don't see that happening. Yeah, and, and I, I Bogarts is my favorite player on the team, and I, I think he has been uh, everything that I, I was hoping he would become and. Uh, I really, really like Bogarts, and I hope he does not be. I hope he doesn't get traded. But then Ken Rosenthal had a piece today um, that that kind of mentioned the same idea, but instead of trading Bogarts, he mentioned trading Benatendi um, and a pitcher and Betts to, or not Betts, uh, maybe a pitcher to clear up payroll to uh, sign Betts. Do you see that happening at all? I just, I, I don't think so. I can't see them doing that with, with the younger players. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that Betts is really the only one that's movable. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. I think the whole idea of trimming payroll kind of is overblown. And uh, I, I don't know if that's their actual, you know, goal. I, I don't know if uh, John Henry is quite the public speaker that Sam Kennedy is. And maybe he misspoke and... That's not really their like mandate, but you know who knows. Um, they could be really adamant on trimming payroll and want to you know cut payroll. So who who knows what's going to happen? You give me one bold prediction for the 2020 Red Sox. So saying that they'll win more games than they won in 2019 is not a huge bold prediction. Um, but for me to say that, um, how about this one, Chris Sale? does not go on the injured list all year long. I That's like a pretty that. bold one. I like that one. I don't even know if I believe it, but <laughs> I think it's I think it's pretty bold to say that he doesn't go on the IL. I mean, if he doesn't go on the IL, there you go. 300 strikeouts, maybe 20 wins, and, you know, an ERA under one point, you know, under two. I, I, I really like that one, and if that does happen um... – I'm gonna be uh, contacting you, and uh, you're gonna buy me a lottery. <laughs> you know, just don't don't reach out to me when he hits the IL. You know, on May second. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, just closing things out. Thanks, Scott, so much for coming on. Um. 
you'll everyone who's listening to the show go check out Scott's work. I'm a big fan, and I'm sure we're going to have him ba- back on uh, in the future. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, Gabe. Again, if uh, you guys want to check out what we're doing, uh, prospects1500.com. You can check us uh, out there on the website, on Twitter, and I'm on Twitter as well at Scotty underscore ballgame thanks so much for having me on all right we go from a couple of talking about a couple of award winners in Mookie Betts and JD Martinez last year into maybe some possible award winners and past award winners at this point uh let's go ahead and talk about the MLB awards upcoming we got the nominees out let's we're gonna take it down you know each each award and kind of what everybody thinks what the predictions are and I also want the order of what you would put them on your ballot. So let's start with NL Rookie of the Year. Uh, our own David Kwiatkowski was very right about the NL Rookie of the Year. Your nominees are Pete Alonso, Mike Soroka, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr. obviously very crippled because of his... <laughs> Here I go, sitting on the Protect Fernando train. But, uh, you know, the inability to stay healthy this year was obviously sad because he was a very special player. And was well on his way to at least competing with Pete Alonso for that rookie of the year and possibly even take it from him, taking it from him. And one of my favorite players in all of baseball to watch, Mike Soroka, who was absolutely quietly dominant in Atlanta. And then finally, once he gets some spotlight, you know, you put him you pitch him in the playoff game, he pitches pretty spectacular. Gabe, I know what Dave's order is, but what is your order and who is your winner on the NL Rookie of the Year? Uh, so NL Rookie of the Year, winning it, I have Pete Alonzo, just monster year from him, set the NL Rookie home run record. Yeah, I mean you you can't really justify anybody else. But then I would I would have to go Tatis and then Sirocco. Uh, Tatis was just he like you said, if he kept kept it up, he would have been up there in contention for for Alonzo's uh place at the top spot. But I just think. You know, with that injury, he dropped off, and you really can't give it to him. But I, I would have to go Alonzo, Tatis, and then Sirocco. I had Pete Alonzo at plus 2,000 to win Rookie of the Year, and he won, which was great. He's going to win. Uh, I have it in the order that Austin actually said. I have an Alonzo and Sirocco and then Tatis. Tatis was hurt and didn't do enough before he got hurt to get it over Alonzo, obviously. And I got to throw some Soroka for some love because if there was a pitcher Rookie of the Year award and a batter Rookie of the Year award, Soroka would win it hands down. The kid was unbelievable. At one point, he was like 8-0, like under 2 ERA. He was so good this year on a team that not only competed, but made it to Game 5 of a series, won their division. I mean, he was not pitching on the Miami Marlins or on Baltimore, making some nice, you know, you know, plays here and there. What? Is that Shane AL Rookie of the Year? AL Rookie of the Year. No, I mean, I like John Means as well, but I think uh, I think Soroka was there. Alonzo is going to win it easily, but uh, Tatis is going to be amazing. He's going to have a great year next year, and he might have a better year than Alonzo next year. Will Alonzo tank 50 every year? Probably not, but I think he'll hit 30-plus every year. But if you're going to bat 260 and hit 30 versus you know, Nando, who might bat 320 and hit 20. You know, who do you want there on your team? I have the order that Dave has, and that might surprise a lot of people considering that the team that I cover, but Mike Soroka was undeniable, you know, and Dave's right. Fernando didn't do enough for me prior to the injury to to justify 
keeping him in you know in the top two. I mean, Soroka was just absolutely dominant. Alonzo was great. Uh, you know, I think it might be a situation where everybody adjusts to Alonzo and wants the baseball switch back, but it might maybe <laughs> drop. They're never switching back. They oh, they are. It's happening. Uh, that it that it changes a little bit. I obviously think Fernando's going to have the best career out of the three of them. Like if you ask me who I think is going to have the best career in order, I would probably tell you Fernando Soroka and then Alonzo. Pete Alonzo was legendary. Pete Alonzo was, and I keep saying this, but absolutely undeniable for rookie of the year. Yeah, and uh, something I want to throw out there, I thought was a pretty cool statistic was Tatis was worth two thirds as much by WAR as Alonzo. Uh, and he played half that time. So that's that justifies the number two slot. Yeah, and I, I just like I said, if Tatis played the whole year, I think he would have ended up getting it. But Sirocco was on a d- different level too. Um, he was at like four war, I think, last uh, last time I checked. And I, he just had a – yeah. Yeah, he had a monster season. Pitched great in the playoffs. Yeah, let's go ahead and hop on to the AL Rookie of the Year. I thought I thought Dave was throwing shade a second ago. Uh, somebody that I don't think anybody had for their Rookie of the Year pick in the beginning, correct? I think we both had Astros. I think we might have all three had at No, no, Colton had Eloy. Colton had Eloy. <laughs> AL Rookie of the Year, we have Jordan Alvarez, Brandon Lowe, John Means. No Eloy Jimenez. Before we get into anything else, what do we think about the fact that Eloy is not on this ballot? It's fine, I think. I don't. You don't? I mean, I think he I think he picked it up, you know, with the home runs and stuff like that. But I think next year is gonna be really good. I think Jordan deserves it a lot. I think they have to have a pitcher on there. Jordan's gonna At win least, it. You know. Well, Jordan's gonna win it hands down. He deserves it, just like Peter Alonso does. But I think John Means would be number two, spoiler, and then Brandon Lowe would be third. Eloy could have maybe replaced Lowe, but Lowe was pretty consistent all year where Eloy went up and down. And I think, like, if you're going to get on the ballot, you got to be pretty consistent. And Tatis, before he got hurt, was consistent. Obviously, Soroka was, and Alonso were consistent. When Jordan got called up, he was extremely consistent. And in the playoffs, he struggled for the first couple of rounds, but then actually had a pretty decent World Series. Brandon Lowe is pretty good from start to finish, and so was John Means. So that's why I think it's okay not to have Eloy on the list. Jordan, what Jordan did was twice as impressive as what Reese oh. Hoskins did a couple of years ago. Like I remember when he came up and he was just smashing baseballs. Jordan did it for like 300 at bats. And it was one of the most miraculous things in baseball history. It was kind of insane. Yeah, I'd go Alvarez winning it. Uh, there's just no question uh, he had a monster season. And then low and then means – talk about a disappointment from Vladdy. I, I really expected to see him in this uh, top three, but he just kind of had a disappointing season. And Bichette kind of came up too late. But, yeah, I would have to go Alvarez, low and then means. I think, I think that this is more of a weaker class than the NL, obviously, because the NL's class is just spectacular. Like we just talked about, yeah. I think that there's a clear winner here, just like there is in the NL. Uh, and I think it's Jordan Alvarez, and I think it's one of the first of many Astros awards that we're gonna have a consensus on here. Yeah, the Astros did everything this year except win the World Series. Oh, boo hoo! <laughs> I mean, hey, I don't really carry the way. I'm happy the Nats won. It vindicates a lot of contracts, and I know the Nationals aren't gonna probably keep half that team, but that's okay. Time to stop feeling sad for people that get happy about a train. 
Uh, we're moving on to manager of the year. Let's talk about the NL manager of the year. I find this to be an interesting bunch. I find it very hard to give the manager of the year to somebody that uh, doesn't win their division. Am I wrong in that thought process, Dave? Yes, you are. Because if, say, for example, Aaron Boone got the award last year winning 103 games, even though he went, didn't win his division, he still won 103 games. So I'm okay with that if he didn't win his division. A guy like Greg Council you know, was in the one game. Though. Yes, he won 89 games. But look what he did it with. You lost Christian Yelich. They went on a big run, and they don't really have starting pitching. They never have starting pitching. Hopefully this offseason they fix that for themselves. But, um, you know, they got some interesting guys there. I don't think I put uh, put Brian in there at all from the Braves. I, I really don't. I think he's last on my list. It's a toss-up between Council and Schlitt for me. And I think I'm going to go with Council just for the fact that he had to deal with a lot of obstacles. And if there, if Christian Yelich was in that game, the Nats never win the World Series because he's not making a basic error around the field. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty... I, I don't know. Gabe kind of convinced me. Um, here's, here's my case for Council. When Yelich went down, he... I think a lot of people counted the Brewers out once Yelich went down. Yeah, but he went to the front office and he said, I'm going to manage every game from here on out as a one-game playoff. And he did that. And they went on this crazy run and they and they got that wild card spot. And they were a few outs away from advancing to the NLCS or NLDS. But, you know, an error happens, Juan Soto happens, and the rest is history. But I still have to go counsel just because – the Brewers had their backs against the wall, and he um, led that team to a playoff spot. And uh, I, I, I think he's the winner for me. And then I'd have to go uh, Schilt and then Snick, Snicker. Snicker, I can't even pronounce any of these guys' names. I think I'm going Snicker. I really think I am. Like, in a division that was as tough as that one was, you obviously have the Marlins. I get that. Yeah, you know, but... I mean, this is a team full of person. But wait, they had Philly. They were loaded, right? Didn't they win 100 games have, this year? Uh, can the I be honest with Phillies? you? I have my Philly loaded shirt on currently. Uh, what out, a joke. Shout out Underground Sports Philadelphia. Philadelphia. <laughs> shout out Underground Sports Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going Snicker. I, mean, I really do. it. I just think that he managed a, a, a lot of talent, and I don't think that that should be something that – you know, people discount. It's a whole lot harder than people think. You know, when you have a team full of young kids, when you have a team, you know, that you just, I didn't expect them to win as many games as they did. They exceeded my expectations. They also, I mean, I know we're not supposed to take uh, postseason success into this, right? But we'll definitely don't because it didn't happen. But I'm, I'm all in on Snicker. I think Snicker wins. Uh, shout out to Mike Schilt who eliminated Snicker. And uh, yeah. So we disagree. Hooray. AL Manager of the Year. I think that this is going to be quick. I think that this is going to be consensus. Uh, Rocco Baldelli's team last year, that wasn't his team yet, won 78 games and turned around and won, I think it was 104 games this year. Can anybody give me an argument to why Rocco Baldelli isn't the manager of the year? I can't because he's from my home state and he played great. A uh, little side thing here. Aaron Judge beat Mookie Betts for the Wilson Defensive Player of the Year award in right field. Breaking news. Yikes. What? What? How? That's, how? that's BS. That's well, I mean, when you, when you get to play in a sandbox, I mean, it's I guess it's fine. 
I guess so. That's true. Uh, back on track, though, Rocket Ball Deli did something that you don't really see too often. They, he took a borderline last-place team to a first-place team in a division that isn't very good by any means. It might be the worst division in baseball, but Cleveland's still good. They have three really bad teams. They have two really good teams. But Aaron Boone with the Yankees, I mean, that team is as easy as it gets to manage, even with all the injuries this year, which is why he's even a candidate, which is because of all the injuries. He had guys come up that he just played, and they bat 300. So it's not like he was really struggling at any point. Kevin Cash, I, I think it's just like a rule that Kevin Cash or Joe Madden have to be in the list for managers. Because manage, they you know, like manage every the year. shit out of some games. Eh, sometimes. Cash did a good job this year, though. Uh, I would go Rocco 1, Cash 2, Boone 3. I think there are probably some other people that deserve to be in over Boone. But him yelling, we're a bunch of savages out there, probably got him a little more spotlight than other coaches. That's the answer for me, Gabe. I'd have to go Cash. I, I, I like what Rocco did in Minnesota, but I, I, I just Cash the way he did things. So he had so the Rays have the lowest payroll. They lost um, some key starters, and they had a couple other injuries. And just that roster, I think Cash deserves a lot of credit for um, – the way they handle themselves and the way they played this year. And not not to uh, discount anything that Rocco did. I think he did an amazing job as well. And I agree with you guys on the Boone thing. The whole we're savages thing got him, got him some attention, and that's why he's in there in my opinion. But I think all – both two guys did a, an amazing job in my book. So we got two Baldellis and a cash. Yep. NL Cy Young – it's funny because how often do you hear a candidate say that another candidate deserves the award? Not uh, often, but he wasn't wrong either. No, he wasn't wrong. Jacob deGrom is going to win back-to-back Cy Young awards if everything shakes out correctly. Uh, Ryu was phenomenal. He really, like you. It's hard to it's hard, it's hard to understate how good he was for a Dodger team that really really needed him this year. But I mean, Jacob deGrom. Just spectacular, man. Yeah, um, DeGrom is going to win, hands down, for me. Uh, all three of these guys are just elite this season. And Ryu had a huge season, especially uh, in a contract year. And I, I, it's hard for me to rank these guys, but I'd have to go DeGrom, Ryu, and then Scherzer. Uh, I don't know. Uh, this this is hard. I Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, backtrack a little bit. I'm gonna go Degrom, Scherzer, and then Ryu. Yeah, I I think at the full season as a whole, I think Scherzer uh, gets the little tip above uh, Ryu. Whoa! Is it because like how bad of a like second half of the year Ryu had? I go with um, Degrom, Ryu, Scherzer. Just because of how like good three fourths of the year were for Ryu, Degrom is the best pitcher in the NL. As much as like Scherzer is maybe the most consistent over the past five years, and Kershaw before that, Bumgarner in the early 2010s was unbelievable. But Degrom over the last was Sunny Gray. Yep, Sunny Gray. That's true. That he maybe could have got a couple votes this year for comeback player of the year. Two eight seven ERA. He was unbelievable. Uh, pitches better in small markets, by the way. The Cy Young though is. Jacob DeGrom's award to lose next year as well. He's just getting better. And on a team where he gets no run support for some reason, just him, 
he uh, he continues to go out there mentally and just crushing it. I think DeGrom wins in kind of a landslide, honestly, because I think Ryu's comments may have kind of showed people like, yeah, he really doesn't deserve it. DeGrom, Ryu, Scherzer for me. I mean, I'm not going to discount what our ERA champion did. I know that's basically becoming more and more of a useless stat. But it is important still. Like, ERA is not useless like wins is useless. I think ERA at the end of the day shows a lot. I think FIP shows more, but I think ERA shows a ton. Ryu was an ERA champion, and that's something hard to state. I mean, he was almost 60 points better than Scherzer was uh, in that aspect of the game. I think that he was better than Scerzer was as a, as a whole this year. I know that's an, Scherzer uh, missed a lot of time, too. Yeah, uh, just, the, just the first half. I mean, how how long was Ryu in the ones for ERA? You know, it, Half the year? All-star break, right? It was, it was kind of crazy. It was kind of reminiscent of what DeGrom did last year, except you know, DeGrom finished the fight, irony. Uh Let's go ahead and uh, we all got DeGroms here. We got two different second-place finishers, correct? Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, AL Cy Young, this is fun. I like this a lot because I really like all three candidates. I think that on just about any other year that Charlie Morton probably wins this award. But when you have two guys going out there and competing against each other consistently and, you know, just trying to out-bet, out, like, probably just best each other every single outing, it was something miraculous to watch, even from a Houston hater. And I'm, I'm, I probably have the same order as most of you guys do, where it's Cole, Verlander, Morton, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that's my order, and I totally agree with you. If this was last year or next year, I think Charlie Morton wins the award outright. And it's not shocking that all three guys either played for the Astros or did recently play for the Astros, and Charlie Morton going to Tampa this year. Garrett Cole deserves it, not hands down by any means, but he deserves it. Great year in a contract year. You obviously saw him after the World Series with his Scott Boris hat on, talking about how he's basically a hired gun. I live but for that. It was great. It was really funny to see. It's honestly refreshing. He's like, listen, you know, Zach Granke won, at one point said he would rather go play for the worst team in the league if they're going to give him $300 million. And he played for the Royals. So he kind of knows he did. what it comes like. <laughs> he went from the Royals to one of the Dodgers. best in the West and the Dodgers. And he still said that. So that's kind of goes show that some of these guys do care about money more. Garrett Cole definitely cares about money more. You know, that CC Sabathia quote came out today saying, if you pay him enough money, he will come here to New York, to the Yankees as in here. But I think Cole wins it. Verlander second, Morton third. I don't think this is a runaway. I think this is no, very close. This is like a 14, like, like a 13, 13, Four split on these awards. Yeah, you always have those weird people out there who are going to try to give it to Morton because they think that Verlander and Cole are splitting votes too much. Yeah, you're going to get the hipsters that are just like, but Charlie Morton did it in Tampa. Like, it makes any difference where the pitcher pitches. But I mean, maybe in Coors, I guess that's the only one because you know Coors is tough. But... Coors, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, Arizona's weird, huh? Yeah, it's less less altitude than here, though. Uh, Gabe, what is yeah. your order on this award, and who is your winner? Same as you guys, Cole wins it. But I, yeah, it, like, like you said, it's not, it's not, uh, like a runaway. By no means. Uh, but yeah, but, but to backtrack a little bit, going back to the Grinky thing, I, I think his problem is like, well, not even a problem. I, I kind of feel bad for the guy. He has that anxiety issue and the whole. I, I think he just doesn't like to pitch or be in a big market. I think he kind of so likes great. to be off, the, be off the radar a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah he he's in such he's a, a small market now. <laughs> I will say, I think 
market-wise, Houston's big. Media-wise, no one says bad things about them. So, like, if you're in New York, if you're in Boston, if you're in L.A., if you mess up, you hear it. If you mess up yeah. in Houston, does anyone really hear it? Like, Only I don't Texans. think so. Texans, yeah, but, like, national media. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, no, I, I, get, I get what you're saying. Houston. I'm just jabbing. Yeah. I mean, I know you don't like Houston and everything. You remember but... that weird time when he played for the Angels? Yeah, that was weird. Um, His baseball reference page, and we're going to do a whole segment on this soon, right? On the weirdest baseball baseball reference pages. To, tell to me we're doing it with Bailey. Huh? Oh, we're, oh I think we're going to do it with Bailey. I'm I think we have Bailey to. He's he wants the king to. of that. He really is. He really is. Shout out Foolish Baseball. God damn, we're selling out. Uh, Foolish Baseball's great. I mean, it's not selling out. We're buying in. Yeah, we, there we go. Business is booming. Wait, that was the wrong right. person. Uh, <laughs> nope, that's fine, too. Uh, let's go to the MVPs. Let's start in the NL. A, a situation that's oddly very similar, right? Outside of the appearance of Anthony Rendon. Uh, the leader for the entire season gets hurt. And a new candidate, not even a new candidate, candidate that was there the entire season, that they were kind of going back and forth. Who wins the NL MVP? Anthony Rendon, Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, and what's your order? This is hard. Uh, this is controversial. This, I, I don't... I think I have to give it... I don't know. Yelich is my favorite player that doesn't play for the Red Sox, but the injury hurts him. So I have to go Bellinger, Yelich, Rendon. I mean, I think Bellinger's Bellinger played the whole se- or I mean, Yelich ended up getting hurt or whatever and missed uh, some time. And Bellinger's a plus defender; like he he's pretty good in the field. Um, if you're accounting for the playoffs, which I know is so hard to not take an account for, Rendon is is up there. But I think just the regular season, I think it's Bellinger, Yelich, Rendon. If Yelich didn't get hurt, he would have ran away with it. Yeah, for sure. But because he got hurt and because of how good Bellinger finished with like 47 home runs or something like that, I'm going Bellinger, Rendon, Yelich because Rendon Sneaky had an amazing year. And Rendon had a 6.3 war according to baseball reference. 34 home runs, 319 batting average, 412 OBP. He slugged 598 over 1,000 OPS, 126 RBIs. He had 174 hits. I mean, he just played phenomenally well. I'm not even going to put the playoffs into it. I just flat out think that because Yelich got hurt and how well he continued to play, that Rendon deserves second place votes and will probably finish second behind Bellinger. Dave's right, in my opinion. I think that, you know, it's just the time of the injury is really, 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 really hard to overcome for Yelich. Uh, Could be possibly similar to another prospect another player in another league but the difference is that the body of work for christian yelich wasn't nearly as good as the guy in the al uh and i think that you know rendon's late surge and you know just what he he puts the v in valuable i mean that team needs him same i mean you can't really say the same for bellinger he is valuable to his team but he's not nearly as valuable as anthony rendon or christian yelich but the V invaluable doesn't mean anything to people. So 
It's Cody Ballinger, Anthony Rendon, Christian Yelich, and then for some reason Ronald Acuna Jr. has odds. <laughs> I mean, he did have a forty forty year, didn't he? Uh, no, he almost did. Well, yeah, just about. I mean, he, he gets odds. Forty forty, he should have been a nominee. Yeah, because nobody does. Very true. No, no one really does anymore. Uh, three Bellingers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two second place Rendones and one third place Rendon. Yep. Dave and I are doing that thing where we always agree. Uh, I have a feeling we're not about to. Uh, I'm quite surprised. AL MVP. Um, you have probably my favorite candidate of all these guys that isn't one of my favorite players in baseball. The fact that Marcus Simeon is on here is an absolute gorgeous act of baseball. I love that Marcus Simeon is even included in this. I love that he's obviously not going to win. But you know, yeah. I like that the uh, that the nominees are rewarding defense at this point too. Uh, yeah, they kind of a little bit of everything because he was a, kind of a, like a Swiss Army knife when it came to doing stuff this year. Yeah, he really was. He was what they thought Jerks and Profile was going to be. But yeah. uh, next person up is Alex Bregman, Dave. Okay, well, Alex Bregman had an amazing year. Um, you know, obviously he is a rising star, but he is going to lose the MVP race to Mike Trout. Hooray! And here's why he's going to lose it to Mike Trout. Unlike, you know, Yelich when he got hurt and all that fun stuff, the plate appearances between Bellinger and and Yelich were pretty big in, in a difference. And so was the war and everything else. But between Bregman and between Trout, it's not that big of a difference. For example, war. Bregman had .1 better. This is according to baseball reference. So at bats, it, less than 100 more than him. So pretty close sample size. Mike Trout had more home runs. Mike Trout had one less batting average point, I believe. A five less batting average point, bat 291. Mike Trout had a better OBP. Mike Trout had a better slugging. He had a better OPS. Basically, it was better in every category than Bregman, except for plate appearances. And that's why I'm giving it to him, because he did it in less plate appearances. If Yelich had 55 home runs when he went out, he would have gotten it. But he probably would have finished at something like that. But he never got to do it. Mike Trout was on pace to hit like 65 home runs this year, but he already hit 44 of them or 46 of them. What was it? How many? 45. I was in the middle. Mike Trout should win MVP in the AL again because he's the best baseball player of all time. But if he doesn't, it'll be Bregman second. But I have it as Trout, Bregman, Semyon. I like Semyon everywhere. He actually learned how to hit. That was his biggest crutch. It was he couldn't hit and he couldn't hit for power. When he did hit, it was singles. Now he's actually mashing the ball at 280. Really good year from him. Shout out to fourth place D- DJ LeMayhew, who had a spectacular year and who is one of the show favorites from every single person on here. Uh, Gabe, tell me why the person you think is going to win is going to win. Uh, I think Trout is going to win. I don't Thank think, God. I think it's it's uh, basically my thoughts are the same as Dave's, and I'm pretty sure your, yours are the same as uh, Dave's as well. Trout is just unbelievable and he does it year in year out just puts like dave said he had less plate appearances was better in basically every statistical category and just is so valuable to his team if they didn't have trout you know look at where they'd be at he's he's just on a different level i think it goes um trout bregman Simeon. mike trout did more in 100 games less than alex bregman did that's, I mean, not games. The 100 plate appearances plate plus. Appearances. 
less than. And that's why I want to give it to him. Because he just did so much more with less. Another question, does he get it? No, he doesn't get it. They're going to give it to Bregman, but I think that Trout deserves it. It does. It makes me sad, too. But it made me sad basically every year he doesn't get it, except the year that Mookie Betts came in second, because I felt like Mookie Betts was pretty valuable that year, too. Yeah. Yeah, but Trout also got denied MVPs besides that one. It was a yeah, weird Miguel did. Cabrera Trout year. Trout lost two in a row that he shouldn't have lost. There was only there was a triple crown year that I that I understood, and then there was another Miguel Cabrera year that he probably didn't make sense. Should have had, but all right, guys. One last thing before we do get out of here on this super mega fantastic flipping episode of Painting Corners. Uh, a couple of announcements: we're getting a new logo, which I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, like guys on the podcast don't even know what it looks like yet, so it's all going to be a surprise. Yeah, I <laughs> barely even know what it looks like. I just I that's what I'm saying. I drew like a little template, like a little three year old. And I just sent it away to a guy that's very, very, very talented. And once we get the logo back, I'll reveal his name and, you know, we'll promote the hell out of him like like we used to do with our other guy. But uh, what is your biggest prediction and boldest prediction of the 2019-2020 offseason? The Angels go get Cole and Strasburg. Both of them. Um, I think... I'm with Dave, but it's not Strasburg. I think it'll be Cole and another guy. I don't, I don't know who, but I think they make a big, big splash, and I, I really hope they do. Uh, I'm get, I'm already getting excited about this Angels team if they can land uh, Cole and somebody else. But if, if they can, that'll be. A- uh, the San Diego Padres jump in the deep end and trade for Andrew Benintendi. Oh boy. Uh oh. What are, they gonna, what are the Red Sox going to get? Uh, Luis Urias, probably a guy like uh, Michelle Baez. So you get you get your everyday second baseman. You get uh, a starting pitcher that can help you now. And then probably two more pieces, like a, like lower pieces, like an Edward Olivares and maybe a lower guy in the system, like in that 25 to 30 range. So there's a good return for it. Uh if Urias can figure it the fuck out, it'd be even better. And probably Hunter Renfro. I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't either. Oh, if you get Renfro probably... in there too, so you put Renfro out there, and then you can kind of put Dahl back and Chavis at first base. Did we record our Indians trade the other day? Another bold trade prediction is that the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, that's not really the bold part. Trade for Francisco Lindor. I think that it's Corey Seager, Kyber Ruiz, Tony Goslin, and then probably somewhere deep, deeper in the system, like somebody like Santana, so that uh, the Indians get their starting catching prospect of the future, which they desperately need after the departure of Francisco Mejia. They get their starting shortstop immediately to help them at least remotely keep contending. You get a starting pitcher that can help you within the next couple, I mean, even months to begin the season. Uh, then you also get somebody, you know, maybe an outfielder or an infielder like a Santana. Or, obviously, you're not going to go with somebody like Jeter Downs who's that high up unless they ask for it. Which, if you're the Dodgers and you're really going all in, don't you take that anyway? I think you might see Jock Peterson go in a deal like that, too. I think it might be in a separate deal, too. Yeah, I think you could see Jock Peterson just go somewhere by himself. But I'm a big Verdugo guy. So, if the if the Red Sox go out and trade... Oh, that's my other one, I guess. The Red Sox trade Mookie Betts to the Dodgers, and it starts around... Verdugo or May and goes down from there. I wouldn't hate the fact that it starts around Verdugo. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine starting the outfield next year and your favorite Red Sox outfield is the only one left? 
Seriously, that's what I'm thinking. Like, it really could be JVJ Verdugo and, like, a Renfro or something ridiculous like that. And then you have Devers, Bogarts, Chavis, Dahlback as first, second, third. Gabe, any uh, bold trade predictions? Uh, I think you guys pretty much nailed it. I think I'm still still thinking on the Mookie, Mookie situation. I have no idea what's going to happen. I think we'll no more in about a month or so so who knows uh bold prediction Mookie Betts gets traded in the first two months of the offseason yeah I Very think so bold, actually yeah. I think there you go it's either going to happen it's either going to be to happen sooner or not happen at all which I think would be a mistake uh, thank you for joining us on this super super mega flipping fantastic episode of Painting Corners to start the off season. We do start our off season previews, kind of our signature, I guess. Uh, next definitely week, our definitely our signature. Actually, Dave's right. Uh, next week, starting with Tuesday, they're going back to Tuesdays, and this year we're gonna space them out a little bit more. And we're gonna go to Fridays on the second uh, off season preview episodes of the year. Uh, the order that they are coming out in to start with the t- first three is. First of all, we're going with the Toronto Blue Jays with the amazing Ian Hunter, who did a fantastic job with us last year on those. Uh, then on the, that Friday, we're going to go to the Miami Marlins. Ethan from Fist Stripes is actually going to help us out a lot. We had a lot of fun recording that one last night. And uh, and then that next Tuesday, the third uh, one that we have currently recorded right now is Brandon Day of the Detroit Tigers. If you enjoyed the Tigers episode last year, you will enjoy it again this year because it was equally might probably even better than it was last year because we had two people on it instead of just myself. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at HartsfieldPC. Dave, what's your Twitter? Dave KMLB. Gabe? Soxphere underscore GF. This has been Painting Corners, and happy, happy, happy off season, everyone.